I'm Scott Aniel, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Well, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you are a regular listener or if you enjoy the podcast, let me ask you to do me a favor and give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, uh, spread the word via social media, let others know about the podcast, and help to spread the word. If you're a conservative Christian living in the present age, you might be tempted to despair. There is a lot of chaos around us in society. Society seems in many respects to be crumbling. We're in the midst of a very contentious and debated election. Several items on the recent state ballots have given cause for Christians to despair. Colorado recently voted down a late-term abortion ban. If Joe Biden becomes president, he's promised in his first hundred days to pass the Equality Act, which would threaten religious liberty and institutions like churches, Christian colleges, and seminaries. What are we to do? How should we respond when society around us seems to be crumbling? Well, this is exactly the question that Psalm 11 asks. Verse 3 of Psalm 11 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This image of foundations is often used in the Psalms and really throughout Scripture as a metaphor for the order of society, an order that God himself established at creation. God established societal order in Genesis 9, and that provides the basis for human flourishing in society a system of righteousness that provides the basis for a civilized society is what will allow human beings in this world to flourish. This is a system in which, as God commanded in Genesis 9, when man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. These foundations are things like righteous laws, a basic culture of morality, the kind of order in a society such that when you go to court, you can count on a righteous verdict. Sin will be punished as God intended. Righteousness will be rewarded as God intended. And this is exactly how God designed things to be in his world. When a society is built on righteousness, it will flourish. The book of Proverbs teaches this. Proverbs is filled with principles that apply not just to God's people, but to all people, to all society. And it addresses this very issue of righteous foundations of society. For instance, Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. This is a universal principle. Proverbs 16.12 says, A king's throne is established in righteousness. These are universal principles established by God that apply to all societies. This is how God designed things to be. When societies have foundations of righteousness, they will flourish. But when societies destroy that foundation, they crumble. And unfortunately, that seems to be what we are seeing happen in our society today. But this is exactly what Psalm 11 is addressing. This psalm is positioned in the middle of a series of laments that extends from Psalm 10 through Psalm 14, and these laments are about wickedness flourishing and foundations of righteousness in society being destroyed. 
For example, Psalm 10 opens with, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Does that seem to be happening around us? That's what we see happening around us, wickedness flourishing. And we can't help but wonder, where is God in all this? Or the opening of Psalm 12 reads this way, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. So not only are wicked people flourishing, but it seems like righteous people are absent. The godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Psalm 13 expresses what we as Christians might be feeling as the society crumbles around us. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then Psalm 14 opens with an explanation of why this is the case. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And of course, these are well-known verses because the Apostle Paul quotes these verses from Psalm 14 in Romans 3 to explain the fact that all people have fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That is a reality for all of humanity and all of human history. And this describes what we are seeing happen around us in society today. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor, Psalm 10. The faithful seem to have vanished, Psalm 12. God seems to be absent, Psalm 13. There is none who does good, not even one, Psalm 14. Or as verse 2 of Psalm 11 describes it, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot the dark at the upright in heart. And so this is why Psalm 11 verse 3 asks, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? But we have to remember that God's people have often lived through times like this. This is not new. We are certainly seeing that happen around us, but it is not the first time it has happened. In many ways, we who live in the West, we who live especially in America, have been spoiled in many ways. Our nation is not a Christian nation, but this nation was built on foundations that were, for the most part, consistent with the way that God designed things to work. Righteous foundations that have allowed this nation to flourish. But those foundations do seem to be crumbling. And even worse, like Psalm 12 says, it appears that even the faithful have vanished. And so the question before us is, what can the righteous do? And that is exactly what Psalm 11 is seeking to address. But before we look at how the psalm answers that question correctly, I want us to notice the wrong answer to that question. Psalm 11 addresses this as well. Halfway through the opening verse of the psalm, we find advice given to the righteous that is actually the wrong advice. Flee like a bird to your mountain. 
That's the advice being given to David. The foundations are crumbling. The wicked are shooting in the dark at the upright in heart. And so the advice given to David is flee, escape, run away. Just get together and sing happy songs and pretend none of this is happening. But that's the wrong response. And that's what we see throughout the book of Psalms. These inspired songs don't ignore the reality of crumbling foundations and wicked people. These songs acknowledge that reality, but then lead us to respond in proper ways in the midst of that reality. That's what these songs do for us. And so what is the proper response? Well, in Psalm 11, David presents three proper responses. And the first one is right in the first phrase of the psalm. Psalm 11 opens, In the Lord I take refuge. When God seems far away and the foundations of righteousness are crumbling around us and the faithful have vanished and there is none righteous, no, not one, the correct response is this, in the Lord I take refuge. And then after giving us the wrong response, flee, David gives us a second correct response in verse 4. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. When you look around and the foundations of society seem to be crumbling, and you know that this is going to lead toward chaos in the society, we're seeing that happen already. The correct response is this. The Lord is in his holy temple. The thrones of men may be crumbling, but God is still on his throne. And then David's third response begins in verse 5 where he says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. When you look around and it looks like the wicked are prospering, As verse 5 of Psalm 10 says, the wicked person's ways prosper at all times. Psalm 12, 8 says, vileness is exalted among the children of man. Psalm 13 describes the enemies of God exalting over his people. When you look around and there is nothing but corruption around you, the correct response is this. The destiny of the wicked is certain. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. That's the third correct response. And when you look around and it looks like the righteous are being destroyed, Psalm 10.10 says the helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by the might of the wicked. Psalm 12 says the poor are plundered. Psalm 13 expresses the fact that for the righteous it seems like God is absent. Psalm 14.4 describes it this way, The evildoers eat up my people as they eat bread. Do you ever feel that way? When you feel that way, the correct response is this. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The destiny of the righteous is certain. And so here in Psalm 11, David gives us three correct responses when the foundations of righteousness around us are crumbling. 
Number one, in the Lord I take refuge. Number two, the Lord is in his holy temple. And number three, the Lord has determined the destiny of the wicked and the righteous. Now, what do these three responses have to do with the issue of foundations that Psalm 11 is addressing? Why are these responses in particular best for those who are wondering what to do when the foundations are crumbling? Why are these the exact right things to say? Well, this is where going back to the foundational psalms, the introductory psalms of the entire book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, can be so helpful. What we notice immediately is that these responses in Psalm 11 are connected to foundational principles that are laid out in Psalms 1 and Psalm 2 and that are developed and repeated over and over and over again through the entirety of the 150 Psalms. For instance, in the Lord I take refuge. That appears right in the foundational Psalms at the end of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 predicts that all of human history will be characterized by vain imaginations, by nations raging and setting themselves against the rule of God. And so when that happens, why are we surprised? Why would our response be to flee? Psalm 2 ends with telling us, take refuge in the Lord, just like Psalm 11 repeats. Or the second response of Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. That appears in Psalm 2 as well. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He has already set his king on Zion. It is done. He is king. Or the third response of Psalm 11, the Lord has determined the destiny of the wicked and the righteous. That appears in the last verse of Psalm 1, where it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. So why are these responses in Psalm 11 the appropriate responses to the reality of crumbling foundations around us? Because in Psalm 11, David is reaffirming foundations that God set out in Psalm 1 and 2. He's readjusting his image of reality with God's image of reality. The foundations look like they're crumbling, and they may be crumbling in the societies of men, but those foundations are always still there because God laid those foundations, and they shall never be moved. God's foundations are the bedrock upon which men build their foundations and construct their societies. Man's foundations may be crumbling, But the bedrock foundations that God laid are established forever. And this is the foundation of all of our hope and our expectation. God is in the heavens. His rule is untouched by what is taking place on earth. Nothing is altered in heaven where God rules over all things. The end is determined. It was written in stone before the foundations of the earth were laid. And those who take refuge in him can be assured of true eternal blessedness, as Psalm 1 opens. So if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, the foundations are not actually destroyed. 
The fundamentals that God has established will never be moved. And if you shape your image of reality by that foundational reality, if you meditate upon God's word so that your image of true blessedness is shaped by the word of God rather than the vain imaginations of the wicked, then you will be blessed even as the righteous foundations of society crumble around you. You will be able to say, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land, as Psalm 10:16 says. You will be able to say, like Psalm 12:6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. You will be able to say with Psalm 13, 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And you will be able to say with Psalm 14, 5, God is with the generation of the righteous. And verse 6, the Lord is his refuge. And verse 7, when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. You will be able to move from lament to trust, from trust to thanksgiving, and from thanksgiving to praise. This is exactly what the apostles did in the first century when they saw the foundations crumbling around them. When they began to experience persecution because of their belief and trust in Jesus as Messiah. In chapter 4 of the book of Acts, after the apostles experienced persecution, they looked directly to the Psalms as the source of their confidence. They quoted Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They had confidence in the fact that he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord is on his throne. God laughs at the futile plotting of the nations. The apostles quoted these verses from Psalm 2 because they show the futility of human rebellion against God. They might have been tempted to worry that the religious leaders would stop the growth of the church. They may have been tempted to despair as the foundations were crumbling around them. But they found their confidence in the book of Psalms, in those foundational truths that God had established. They knew that the foundations that God had laid would endure forever. And the growth of the church in the New Testament bears that out. And so does church history since that time. Every time evil men, and ultimately Satan, plot against the church, God laughs. Every time the foundations seem to be crumbling, God's people reaffirm the foundations that God has laid that will never be moved. For example, as Acts shows a little later in the book, because of the intense persecution against the church in Jerusalem, believers were scattered all over the known world. But God laughed at the persecutors because that just provided witness of Christ all over the world. Or consider the terrible persecutions against the church by the Roman emperors. Did that squelch Christianity? No. God laughed at them. Like Diocletian, who was emperor in the late 3rd and 4th centuries. In 303, Diocletian ordered the complete destruction of all Bibles, and he had killed somewhere around 3,500 Christians, and he erected a monument in Rome declaring the end of Christianity. But God laughed at Diocletian, 
And within 10 years of his death, Christianity was declared legal by the Emperor Constantine, who hired scribes to copy clean official copies of the scriptures and who turned Diocletian's monument into a Christian monument. Well, then Satan got a little smarter and decided to attack the church from within, and he corrupted its leadership and its doctrine and turned the Roman church into a false church. But did that squelch Christianity? No, God laughed and raised up a simple monk educated within that church named Martin Luther, who rediscovered the truths of Scripture and turned the world upside down with the Protestant Reformation. Well, then Satan decided to try philosophy and science and reason to attack Christianity. The French philosopher Voltaire wrote in the 1700s that 50 years from now the world will hear no more of the Bible. But God laughed And 50 years after his death, Bibles were being printed by the Genevan Bible Society in the very house where Voltaire had lived and on his own presses. And what is it that Satan is using to attack the church today? To crumble the foundations. He's used religious persecution, persecution from the government, corruption within the church itself, philosophy and reason. But now maybe he's using the deadliest weapon of all, comfort. The church in America today is rich and free and comfortable, and Satan has been luring the church into complacency and worldliness, and by all accounts, he is successfully destroying pure Christianity. But God will laugh, and this will just serve to accomplish his purposes as well. Why do the nations rage and plot in vain? God just laughs at them. That's what the apostles knew. And they knew that reaffirming those foundations, reaffirming the foundation of taking refuge in the Lord, of the fact that God is still on his throne and that he has established the destiny of the righteous and the wicked, reaffirming those foundations laid forth in the book of Psalms, developed throughout the book of Psalms and throughout the entire scriptures, reaffirming those foundations is what will give us confidence and hope to endure as the foundations around us are crumbling. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services, and if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture.